Fintech is uh, the last frontier, I think, in this region of disrupting uh, payments, disrupting uh, banking services. The region is challenged, and Omar will tell you much more about the challenges of the region, but the region, as you know, is probably uh, is the least uh, banked region in the world. Uh, banks uh, are challenged in addressing the issues of small and medium-sized enterprises and how they can actually fuel their growth. So, uh, and we think that FinTech will leapfrog all the uh, legacy uh, services and legacy systems and address and technology will uh, democratize the process of uh, the availability of finance and financial inclusion uh, at any level that we can think of. So uh, Omar will give us the details of the findings, uh, but the ecosystem in the region in general for entrepreneurship and for uh, the technology entrepreneurship ecosystem is happening, it's growing, it's probably, it's at a different trajectory uh, than the other uh, economic uh, issues in the region. So it's growing fast. Uh, entrepreneurship is happening. Dubai is at the core of it. It's the hub of tech entrepreneurship in the region. Uh, but everyone else around it is also happening. Saudi Arabia is the biggest market in the region. The UAE is probably the second biggest market in the region. And then everywhere else uh, from Pakistan, India, and the neighboring Arab countries are uh, starting to recognize and invest and address the issues of uh, tech entrepreneurship in the region. And FinTech, in our view, in the next few years is going to be at the core of how change is going to happen specifically uh, around financial systems. Obviously because, uh, uh, as we have seen in other countries that have addressed this issue, it will fuel so many other and will enable so many other businesses uh, uh, by addressing that challenge. The last point I would say is, as you know, e-commerce is the uh, most successful, if you want, tech uh, startups here in the region. So Souk, which is the mother company uh, of Payfort, is, is the largest in the region, have uh, gone to uh, the next level in terms of growth. But uh, payment has been a challenge. So 80 to 85% of e-commerce payments in the region happen in cash. And so FinTech is here to, uh, and, and when you do cash, there's, there's all sorts of challenges with it. There's all sorts of logistical challenges with it. There's all sorts of delays uh, that happen. So you need to clear the plumbing system so that everything gels and goes uh, to uh, the levels of other developed markets. And we've seen what other developed markets uh, do when, when all these issues are, are addressed. So I leave the floor uh, to my good friend uh, Omar. Welcome, thank you very much, Thanks. and thank you for your support. And we're honored to have partnered with you for this report. Uh, hello everyone. I don't know if you know about the State of Payments report, but we've been publishing uh, famous report for the last uh, few years as pay for it and we felt it helped us understand the, the magnitude of the payment problem in the region uh, what consumers want 
uh, what are what are the companies are looking for in order to succeed uh, online. Like uh, Fadi said, how do we convert uh, cash transacting into a cashless transaction? Uh, we, as a payment company, we realize that PayFord has to evolve into a fintech uh, company. Not because it sounds sexy, but because our merchants come to us with problems that they expect us to solve, such as I want to increase the purchasing power of my consumer. I want my consumer to be insured. I want, uh, I want my consumer to borrow money and increase their purchasing power. And we felt that we cannot innovate fast enough, and we shouldn't inno innovate just by ourselves. And we launched uh, FinTech Factory last year. And in the process of FinTech Factory, we're investing in some startups, teaming up with startups. We asked them a lot of questions in terms of how many people do you think will borrow online? How many people would invest online? What is the bank population in this country? What is the market size in that country? And a lot of the data weren't there. So we felt in order for to, to really leapfrog the entire uh, FinTech frontier, like uh, Fadi said, we really need to, to do our homework. And, uh, and it's part of our responsibility as one of the largest uh, FinTech companies in, 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 the, in the region. Uh, the report that you have in, in front of you will have different sections. Uh, those sections uh, are the uh, opportunity uh, for fintech in MENA, and like Fadi said, 80% of the population today is unbanked. Uh, uh, around 40% of the population should be banked, is bankable, but they're not banked. The question is why they're not banked. And these are some of the opportunities that companies like Now Money, Bridge, uh, and, and Liwa and others really try to solve. Uh, if you look at the SME sector, uh, the global trend is that 50% of lending goes to the SME sector globally, while in our region, it's very, very, very low. So in the GCC, it's around 4 to 5%. The highest country in the report, you'll show that is Morocco, around 25%. Uh, Jordan, where Liwa launched its uh, services, was around 10%. While the economy of the SME sector is huge, so for example in the UAE where around 4 or 5% goes to financing SMEs, it represents 90% of our economy. So in order to really grow our, our economy and unleash more entrepreneurs, we really have to figure that out. Um, there's always the debate between banks and fintech companies. Are they competing? Are they cooperating? And this report, will share with you some of the insights that we found in terms of what means to a, a, a startup to get into the fintech business and, and how companies like finance companies uh, and startups can work together. Uh, one of the uh, key insights that you'll find in the report that uh, while bank may lack innovation, startup, fintech startups lack trust. The consumer is unaware of these services. The consumer is not really ready to trust let me do this online and I'll make sure that that financial service will be delivered. So there's a little bit of trust. And uh, today, I'll, uh, I'd like to enjoy to join our panelists. Uh, John is the co-founder and CEO of uh, Compared For Me. The Compared For Me started as a product that compares credit cards, auto loans, personal loans, and now evolved also into uh, a platform where customers can do an end-to-end uh, acquisition of a financial product such as as, as insurance and uh, I'll, I'll uh, let you just uh, go ahead and say a little bit something about uh, compare for me cool all right yeah. so um, uh, you know as Omar said uh, you know we started that I was a banking comparison um, but in the last year we actually evolved into a transactional site for insurance so um, you know the challenges that come from that 
I'm sure are going to be discussed here. And um, uh, you know, the, the key for us now is moving away from this banking comparison into transactional, and then you hit the usual challenges that you one would expect. I don't know how long I'm allowed to rabbit on for, but um, uh, perhaps I'll let everyone else introduce themselves, and otherwise I'm going to talk over your slides. But um, yeah, thank you for uh, thank you for having me. Uh, we have Ian from uh, Now Money, and uh, you can just say a little bit about yourself and yeah. Now Money. Yeah, so I'm co-founder of Now Money. Now Money um, is a company that is based here in Dubai um, and aims to solve the problem of the unbanked uh, market here, which is a large proportion of the population. So we're very happy that these guys have produced the report, which basically backs up everything we've been trying to tell everyone for the last two years. Yeah, I'm uh, Khalid Talhouni. I'm managing partner at Wanda Capital. For those who don't know, we're, a, uh, uh, we're your host today, and we're a seventy million. <laughs> we are a uh, seventy million dollar venture fund focused on the region, and fintech is one of our core areas. Thanks. Uh, so thanks to Fadi, thanks to Omar, and the rest of the Wanda team for. Uh, Allowing me to be here today. My name is Ahmed Moore. I co-founded Lua, which is a lending company focused on small businesses. We really have one product, which is a trade finance product. Uh, one of the ways in which we access capital is through a marketplace mechanism. Uh, but we also do some uh, online through banks and restructuring uh, what's effectively a fixed income fund uh, for us. Our market opportunity really is a lending one, uh, and I'll talk more about that. But as a, as a tech company, uh, we're focused on the credit assessments. I think that's where we'll uh, hopefully uh, build enterprise value. Great. Uh, so in the report, one of the things we focused on, we wanted to understand what are the drivers of uh, fintech. So these are some of the main drivers that we found uh, common amongst a lot of the uh, startups that started in, in the first phase of fintech companies. Uh, the first one might sound like a challenge to you, which is less than one in five adults holds a bank account, but actually we see it as an opportunity. Uh, uh, the SME lending uh, stands at 50% of the global average, while in the Arab world it's much, much uh, less. Uh, like I said, in the GCCs around 5%, and in other uh, uh, places, uh, North Africa, it's, uh, it depends on the country, but it goes up to 25% in uh, Morocco, which is the highest in, in the Arab world. So we see that as another, uh, another opportunity when unbundling the financial service sector. Um, E-commerce or online or electronic payment transactions are set to quadruple uh, by 2020. So basically that allows um, uh, more, in, in order to do that, you need to have a financial instrument to transact online. So the lack of a financial instrument to transact online, we feel that uh, companies like, for example, like Now Money can, can bridge the gap between the cash society and the cashless society. Fadi mentioned uh, the 80% cash on delivery uh, basically, if you look at the cash on delivery in the UAE is around 70%. It's a little lower than, uh, than the rest of the market. Uh, and people say, well, they don't buy with a credit card because they don't have trust. Actually, they don't buy with a credit card because in most cases, sometimes they don't have one or they're still used to cash. 70% of offline transactions are happening still with cash. So we are a cash society. So the problem we're trying to solve is how do we become a cashless society? And in order to do that, we have to allow people to get into the banked population. Uh, one in three bank customers wants to switch their bank. So they're not happy. They feel that I'm getting type of a service, but that service is not enough. Uh, maybe it's not uh, addressing some of the issues that I, that I have, or they don't have the uh, 
appropriate channel or technology. So there's something missing in that relationship. And last but not least, 88% of fintech startup uh, seek uh, corporate partnerships. So having a corporate <coughs> partnership might speed up things. And uh, you know, the, some of the panelists will talk about that. So John, I'd like to start with you. And what has been the main driver of growth uh, for a compared for me, which is out of a lot of the fintech companies out there is pretty mature today. So how did you guys, you know, what, what was the key driver of, of growth? So um, I guess for us, uh, when we launched insurance, for instance, so that was almost a year ago to the day, in fact, um, you know, with this big vision of, like the UK, we would sell online, costs would be low, margin would be highly wonderful. And, um, and actually what we realized really quickly was that um, that's, that's not going to work in this part of the world. You talked about trust. Um, you know, we launched a call center to help advise uh, insurance customers, and immediately our conversion rate went from 5% to 25%. There's no hard sell. Uh, our agents don't need the hard sell. We make the same amount of money wherever you buy car insurance. So they can literally give you unbiased, uh, unbiased uh, uh, advice. And um, the, the biggest driver for us was, was being locally relevant. So it's nice to dream about you know, the UK market and how that works and how efficient it is, but well, that's just not what people want here. Um, we, we get a lot of people when they buy car insurance, uh, uh, maybe 15% of people will say, I want to pay by cash. That's okay. We'll call to arrange cash collection. They say, that's okay. I'll pay with my card now. Hmm. Hearing a voice, knowing we're human, uh, makes a huge difference. Um, you know, so for me, it, it's nice to dream big. And, and actually, one of our core values of Compare for me is dream big. Um, but you have to be relevant and you have to make sure you're addressing the needs of the market, not addressing your own aspirations and goals and maybe what the other markets are doing. So, uh, yeah, I think it's just staying relevant and, and recognizing what the customer really wants and needs. Uh, Ian? Yeah, I think I would um, agree with, uh, with what John just said. I mean, I think understanding what the customer wants and needs is the most important thing. We. You know, the UAE, the Middle East is largely uh, expat population. Everyone's from elsewhere. Everyone has different wants and needs. So it's very easy for me as an English person to think that someone needs a certain thing and, you know, an Indian migrant worker might want this and a Pakistani might want this. But actually you need to get out there and understand what it is. And I think that um, understanding is the first step. And then in terms of um, getting growth, um, I think you're going to come on to it. But, yeah. Um, Corporate and banking partnerships are absolutely essential. And I think the industry's got quite a long way to go there because um, it's hard. It's very difficult at the moment. And without partnerships, you know, you can't get investment. So you, you, you've, you've developed some partnerships in order to deliver your product, right? Exactly. So you're not, you're not competing with financial institutions. You're actually using them and, and creating a, a new channel for them. Can yeah. you elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, to hold funds, you need to be a, a licensed bank, essentially. And... and as a fintech startup in this region, with the best will in the world, you're very unlikely to become a licensed bank. So, you know, we and almost every fintech startup um, needs to have a partner bank that sits behind them. Um, so that's actually a, a big issue in this region because, you know, going navigating the bank and their internal mechanisms can take a year, 18 months. And as a fintech startup, you're dead before yeah. you've got there. So, you know, it's... Um, that's, that's something that is difficult, um, but is getting better slowly. Corporate partnerships as well. We work with corporates. Now Money works with corporates to provide accounts to their employees. So again, you know, we have to work with corporates. We have to get them on board. So I think we 
we are certainly an ecosystem, so we need lots of partnerships. Um, and that's the difficulty in this region. Mm. But I don't think any fintech companies here are really much different. I think as a fintech company, you very rarely go out cavalier and do everything yourself. And actually, most of the time, you're not really competing or taking that much business away from someone else. You're more bringing out parts of the market that are already there in a more efficient and better way. So partnerships are, are vital. Uh, if, if I may, sure. uh, just on the, on the idea of, of non-competing, um, uh, we've got a panel of about 12 car insurance uh, providers, uh, insurers, and, um, and you know, so every month we write them a check for the amount of policies that we've written for them. And uh, one of them receives a check of about a million and a half dirhams a month. That's just one insurer that gets a check from us. They've done nothing for that money, okay? Um, you know, when we first launched, there was a, you know, they were a bit reluctant. They were nervous that we were going to display their rates, that we were going to compete, that we were going to ruin everything for them. And, and some of them still are a bit nervous. But when these guys get checks of a million and a half dirhams, and that's today, we're tiny today, right? We're mm -hmm. growing fast, but that's, you know, it's the tip of the iceberg. Um, these, uh, these insurers, some of them don't even have the facility to sell online. So never, mm -hmm. mind, never mind competing. We're a marketing channel for them. We're a channel that... They can't even dream of getting in, into today. They don't have the expertise, the knowledge, or the desire, frankly. You know, when we when guys like us write them uh, checks for zero effort every month, you know. So I think it is about give and take, right? And and I, I think apart from you know, like you said, it, it's not about being cavalier and going off and doing everything. Most of the time, you can't do everything. I need insurers to buy into what we do because I need their rates. I'm not an insurer, you know. I'm a marketplace for it. So you do need those partnerships, and I think. Sometimes there's almost a monopolistic approach, right, from banks and insurers. Why would we let you in to take our lunch? We're not trying to take, we're trying to add, you know, these guys, they're not competing with banks. They, they're addressing a part of the market that the banks don't want to talk to anyway, you know, and the same for us, so. I think we, we found exactly the same thing. We provide remittance to the, to the workers. And remittance in this part of the world can be quite expensive. Um, but when you look at why is it expensive, why is it expensive to send money, it's because the exchange houses here have built a, a network of 300 branches, brick and mortar branches, staffed them with 30, 40 staff in each. They've got to pay for that. Mm. And you can't pay for that out of thin air. You need to charge a margin to your customers. All of a sudden, we were doing it online, and they had to do nothing. Yeah. And exactly the same as John, we all of a sudden were just giving them business for absolutely free. So they started out very reticent, and then all of a sudden, they're like, wow, you've just bought us millions of flow yeah. we haven't done anything and now all of a sudden they're they're sort of coming after us so it's really less eating other people's lunch and more giving them exactly the same business but just way more efficient yeah yeah, the uh, oh, yeah i want to switch gears a little bit when we come back to you i'll i'll get that to you last yeah. uh, i want to switch gears to you because uh with liwa uh, first of all you're dealing with the businesses as opposed to an end consumer um, uh, which, which is a, a much more difficult transaction to underwrite. And you are the debt source, right? So in that case, you are competing with the bank or they're using other banks as debt sources as well. So tell us a little bit about Liwa, you know, why consumer, why, 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 the, why companies come to you for money while they can go down the street and borrow from, from the financial, from the local bank? Yeah, 100% yeah. of our customers are banked. Uh, so when Simon and I started the business, we wanted to start a lending business, uh, but we had $60,000 between us. And we've been opportunistic all along, and we're still very, very opportunistic today. Uh, our market opportunity is, is a gap around SME lending in this part of the world. Uh, it's a $240 billion SME gap, which you see play out in 
I'd say tragic ways when it comes to human development uh, uh, opportunity. Uh, we think when we, uh, when I first met Fabi actually, uh, he invited us out to Jordan and that made sense for us not only because we were saving money on expenses but also because we're building for the uh, broader region. Uh, I think UAE is a very specific kind of market. Uh, but, but we are here today. Um, so we built the, the uh, marketplace layer onto the business, which was a convenient way of accessing capital early on. Continues to be uh, important for us. We've done $4 million in loans uh, here and in Jordan. Uh, about a million dollars of that has come from retail lenders. Um, that's growing, it's growing quickly. So around 25% is coming from other debt sources. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and that's a 0% interest rate, right? The expense there is, so, is the expense, marketing expense associated with letting retail lenders know about us. At the same time, if we could get a $100 million credit line, uh, well, we wouldn't, you know, we wouldn't uh, strip the marketplace away from our business, but we could underwrite more quickly. Uh, so, like I said, we are opportunistic about how we build the business, particularly on the debt side. At the end of the day, I think of us as, uh, as an underwriting shop, just a, a small business lender. I'd love if our borrowers would think of us as an online bank. Uh, can, I, can I ask you a question? Yeah. Why, why do you, uh, what is it that you do differently in underwriting than a traditional bank? And how do you underwrite, why, why are you more efficient? So I, there's a very unsexy answer which goes to customer service. Uh, I think customer service is woefully neglected in this part of the world. Mm -hmm. We care a lot about it. Uh, but then there's the application of, so we think of technology in two ways. And our, my co-founder and our tech team is based in New York. We struggled with hiring, which I hope we'll talk about yep. in this panel. Um, so there's the application of technology to process. Uh, things like building the ERP systems in-house, so enterprise resource management, uh, ERM systems uh, in-house, such that they conform to what your native process is, rather than trying to right fit your process to somebody else's software. Um, we, we built a bank OCR uh, software system, so optical character recognition. All of our borrowers send us PDF bank statements, which now feed into our systems. The output is in machine-readable format, which is a, an Excel sheet. And then you can run uh, an analysis on that in no time at all. And you can write, actually, we have written a script for that. Um, so, so you get these operating efficiencies, but where, when I look at our business kind of back up and take a look at it, there, there are big deficiencies, and one of them is lender sales. Um, we need to invest more in people who can go out and get big, ch big chunks of debt for us. The other is borrower sales, people who can go out and source uh, high quality uh, borrowers. The, the business really, so the technology piece really hinges on credit assessments, mm. but the rest of it is just a real business. Mm. And you have to observe your unit economics around, you know, what, what does it cost to get a loan? How much are we making on this loan? Can I do it <coughs> with the sales force? We think we can. Okay. Khaled, uh, we leave the you know, best for last. Uh, <laughs> the report talks about the different uh, stages of, um, of, of, uh, of uh, FinTech. Uh, talks about uh, Frontier. Mm -hmm. It talks about emerging. It talks about mature. Uh, uh, the Arab world is in the Frontier. Um, um, phase right now, which is uh, annual growth between 30 to 70 percent, emerging starting at 100 to 300 percent. So as an investor, you know, uh, with some of these folks like Lee Wen compared for me and, and uh, Now Money and, and Bridge and others, um, when they're going to get their, 
you know, uh, additional rounds of funding. What, what kind of drivers you're looking for as an investor? Well, I think to take a step back, I think <coughs> on a more macro view, we've been quite bullish on fintech broadly. And I think the kind of entrepreneurs represented on the panel today really show the cross-section of opportunities. So um, the most kind of prominent is probably what Liwa is in, which is, you know, the si just given the size of the credit gap in the market, which is estimated around, you know, 260 to $300 billion. Um, and there's a real opportunity for technology to, um, to kind of either fill in services that are not, that are not being um, delivered in the market or to supplant existing or push away kind of existing uh, marketplaces who are, who are underserving the market. Um, so I think on one side we have kind of, we think, you know, the, the credit gap is an incredibly interesting space. We think uh, insurance is another and, and remittance owing to the size of the remittance corridor to the region being particularly interesting. Um, you know, what drives our thought process vis-a-vis -vis what to invest in and what not to invest in um, is really vertical driven. So, you know, the way we look at Liwa, for example, is very different to the way we look at uh, Compare It For Me. Um, so to look at, and I'll go into a bit of depth uh, if, if that's helpful. So like when, when we think about alternative lending, for example, really the interesting part for us is how do we um, how do we solve the market failure within lending generally? So, and, and, and thinking about what contributes to that, mar that market failure that leads to the underserving from the banks. So one key area is getting supply of capital. How do we get enough supply to flow over these platforms? Mm. Um, it's ve it, you know, peer to peer is one way, so getting individuals to lend, but that only covers a certain amount of, of the gap. The, the, the kind of, how to scale this is really to bring in big financial institutions into the mix. Um, the other kind of big area to think about is how do you scale the process of onboarding borrowers and lenders quickly? How do you get borrowers to get credit scored in an efficient way? And that's, that's, that's particularly interesting because we don't have any effective uh, credit scoring institutions across the region today. So the onus is on you know, the alternative lending platforms to build intelligent ape, um, credit scoring processes and algorithms that let you look into a, uh, into a borrower in a way that, you know, frankly, has not been figured out elsewhere in the world. How do we know, in the absence of a credit rating institution or a credit bureau, how do you, um, how do you assess credit worthiness in a meaningful way? And there are lots of people doing interesting things. I know Liwa is, is looking at this in, in, in a number of ways. But I think, you know, those two areas would, would crack, crack it yeah. for us. And that's in how far along a company has reached in in those two areas really drives our investment decision. Um, you know, for um, a company like, compared for me, which we are an investor in, I think it, it, it's, and I'm sorry to say this, John, but it's simpler, right? You sell a simpler product than alternative lending. This is true. So in, in your case, it's really about scale, demonstrating that you're able to execute and execute very quickly and effectively and, and have the right um, partner relationships uh, uh, in place. Yeah. Okay. So. With that transition, you talked about lack of data, which is one of the challenges that, uh, or barriers that the report has highlighted. But the four main uh, barriers, the first one was the, uh, 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 you know, which we say bank may lack innovation. And I say may, not, we're not saying banks are not innovative, but we say they may lack innovation in, in certain areas. Uh, but startups lack trust. The second one is lack of awareness of FinTech startups and how they provide 
their service in a market. Uh, security concerns, um, uh, for example, is the key reason for uh, cash on delivery still. And uh, fear of scammers. I don't want to end up you know, buying an insurance policy and then something happens to my car, then I can't uh, you know, fulfill that, uh, that, uh, you know, that claim or uh, you know, borrowing money and then the money doesn't come in on time. So there's still a lot of uncertainty when it comes either to the end consumer or to the, to the SME sector. Uh, John, in, in, in your case, what was the biggest challenge that you guys had when you first started and how did you overcome it? Uh, when we first launched the banking comparison, um, Barclays had a retail operation at the time and they sent us a letter saying, get our products offline right now. This is freely available information. You can walk into any branch and take it off the shelf, right? Um, th that, that went away quickly, honestly. We still have large insurers. I don't know if any of them are here today. Um, but some of those insurers do not want to be compared online. What I think, but that's just a lack of understanding and knowledge of customer, right? So um, as an example, over 80%, I think it's 85% of our customers don't buy the cheapest price that they find. That's an incredible stat, right? Yeah. Because when you think comparison, you think price comparison. It's actually value comparison, mm -hmm. right? Um, so again, it's back to the people that you need to partner with understanding you. Um, I think customers get it. You don't need to educate anyone about saving money on car insurance. You know, that's a given, right? You don't want to buy it in the first place. So if we can save you money and time, um, but you know, when you talk about trust as well, uh, we try and issue policies within one hour. A bank would, uh, an insurer might do it in 24. Um, if we take a little over an hour, we find customers get really scared. If they're first time users of Compare For Me, they get really scared, and I get it, right? We're a startup, oh my gosh, I've just paid them 2,000 dirhams, my money's gone forever, mm. right? So we, the after sale process for us is, is, a, is where we put all our focus. We need to make these people feel comfortable. Spending 2,000 dirhams is scary, right? Online is scary enough, even in the, the more established markets, but doing that here with a startup, it feels scary to customers. So these are the kind of things, and again, that's where almost anti-innovation, launching a call center, you know, that, yeah. that kind of overcame that. Um, I think on the, the banks lack, lacking innovation, I think we gotta be really careful, right? Because um, it can't be innovation for innovation's sake, right? Um, I hear, some of the innovations I hear come from banks at the moment are borderline gimmicky, I think. I think if we focus on the stuff that really helps customers, so, um, you know, uh, KYC, mm. uh, that's an obvious one, right? Yeah. Uh, wet signatures, get rid. Um, you know, we talked about 3D security and mm. uh, OTP. It is a solution for some things, but, you know, we see the report every month of the number of people who failed uh, OTP, that's a lost customer. For us, it's slightly easier to recover that customer. We've got their name and their number, we can call mm. them. But if you're an e-commerce player, you typically wouldn't have their phone number, right? If you lose the transaction, you've got to email them and help. Yeah. These are the kind of things, that's what I'd like to see innovation. I think that's where the banks could be better uh, and, and help you know, people like us. Yeah. Uh, Ian, uh, you, you're in the process of, uh, you, you, you've recently launched, so I'm sure mm. you guys had a lot of mm. You know, challenges to, to 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 overcome. Can you share some of those uh, you know yeah. barriers uh, that you that you're facing either on the from the supplier side or from the demand or the end consumer side? Yeah. So we're sort of as you say we're we're sort of launching at the moment. So yeah. we're sort of getting there now. I mean, taking a step back and looking earlier on, what were the challenges there? Um, and ours was around education. <clears throat> there are four and a half million or. Our estimates suggested four and a half million unbanked people in the UAE. People didn't know that. 
you'd say that, and everyone would be like, well, you can get a bank account. It's like, no, you can't, unless you earn three to 5,000 dirhams a month, which excludes 70% of the working population here, which is why we were thrilled when you guys called up and said you'd published a report saying only one in five people in this region are actually banned. So for us, we had a, we had a long time bashing our head against brick wall, telling people, you know, there's a huge unbanked population here, and the answer was generally, no, there isn't. And then you have to keep chipping away until people understand it. And then when it came to the remittance side of our business, we said, you know, it, it's quite expensive to remit money back to home countries quite often. No, it isn't. Mm. Because it's just, you know, a small fee. And you're like, right, okay, well, it is because, you, you know, we've done the research. And then you sort of have to go along there. So for us, and then, you know, there was the lack of understanding around fintech and startups and everything else. So that's moved on a lot since we started two years ago. And the, the sort of support around the fintech industry is fantastic now. It's brilliant. Um, you've released the report that is telling people that there's loads of unbanked people in this region, so thank you for that. Um, saves us a job. But, um, but yeah, they were the challenges early doors. Um, we still face challenges, but I think they were the biggest ones for us and, and, and getting people's buy-in. We spoke about corporate partnerships, banking partnerships. You can't get their buy-in unless they understand the problem out there and the problem you're trying to solve. So, you know, that was our major challenge at first. Sir Ahmed. Challenges? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Uh, <laughs> uh, being taken seriously uh, early on, uh, big one. Um, our first loan for, was for $350 for yoga mats on our website. Um, today we're doing $70,000 loans. Uh, what, what, okay, so challenges is endless, regulatory, all of it, building uh, the systems. Well, one of the things that uh, we never had was a product market fit but you make that up by having to contend with endless risk management stuff. So liquidity, risk, cash, uh, this is what we're really dealing with today. Uh, um, so, so risks um, that are kind of latent within the banking and lending sector, we're, mm -hmm. we're at that stage in our development. And it's tough. Okay. <laughs> Mr. Khaled? Um, I think the, one of the biggest challenges is what you mentioned earlier around um, you know, this being a cash-based society. And I think that that lends itself more to being an opportunity than a, than a challenge. But in the near term, it, it can be a bit challenging. Um, but I think the rate of change from being a cash society to a cashless society will be exponential. In the same way that internet services, we went from a, a region that was totally unconnected to the internet to, a, to kind of one of the leading consumers of digital content online in the region, in, in the world per capita, very quickly in the space of like four to five years. So I think the absence of the, uh, the, absence of the hard infrastructure for um, financial services um, is an opportunity in the sense that technology can come in and solve a lot of these problems quickly. And we can actually be, become one of the world leading centers for, for financial innovation. Can I actually, okay, I'll, I'll add that. Uh, one of the challenges in building a lending business or, or any uh, kind of financial services business with uh, depth around the consumer, there are two things you can't screw around with, which is people's health and, and their money. Uh, as a venture-backed company, you have a, uh, a mandate, really an imperative to grow quickly. Uh, but as a consumer-facing financial services company, you have a responsibility to your client to, to to safeguard their assets for us to underwrite uh, debt in, you know, in a way that meets a high bar uh, around uh, uh, creditability. 
And so those competing mandates are really things that you have to, to make uh, decisions about daily. Uh, and that is an ongoing challenge. Uh, the key challenges that we need to overcome, uh, Ahmed kind of briefly touched on, which is the uh, policies and regulations. And uh, basically, uh, there's been uh, difficult uh, for the entire sector to try to operate in, um, in, 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 um, you know, in a space where it's not regulated, regulated, uh, you know, we're not a bank, but we want to work with a bank. What comes first, innovation or regulation? <laughs> so uh, there has been a lot of um, um, efforts done by regulatory bodies in the region, and the report discusses that. Uh, the report also discusses what's happening from an incubation point of view, what's happening from an investment point of view, who is investing in, in, the, uh, in, the, in, in the ecosystem. Um, so some of those challenges like human capital, uh, support and investments, um, uh, markets and demand. So I'd like to uh, talk to you, Khaled, about the investment. It, w w you know, th there is an inverse relationship between I want to get invest, I want, I want to receive an investment and then I go pitch to an investor and they say, included us, uh, you know, but I'm not regulated. So it kind of creates a, sure. you know, like a, um, a, you know, a, a wall between the opportunity and the investor to. Right. Um, I think outside of fintech, <laughs> um, our view on regulation is if you're in a gray area, we will support you, right? We, I think a lot of regulation in the region hasn't caught up to the reality of technology broadly, so fintech or otherwise. Um, so if a company is within an unregulated area um, and within a kind of hazy shade of gray, I think that's never stopped us from investing before. Um, we've invested in many companies that are outside the regulatory regime. Um, within fintech, it's slightly more challenging because the regulators tend, there is a lot less of gray. Mm. It tends to be quite black and white. But having said that, I think it's important for investors, um, ourselves and others, to really start backing companies at the early stage that are seeking regulatory <coughs> approval. Uh, we try to shy away from having, you know, regulatory approval being a, a gate to investment. So we don't think, oh, we'll invest once you're regulated. That, that, that's yeah. not really how kind of we stop. It factors in mm -hmm. if there's a regulatory risk. Uh, but the more important um, parameters would be stuff like scale, having great product, having great business. If your business as a whole is, is on the right direction and regulation is lacking, um, we'll try to kind of work on, on addressing that. Okay. And uh, uh, hiring in the, in the ecosystem, um, how, how big is of a challenge? This question is open for, for all of you guys. John, if you share your, how big is your team now? Yeah, so we're... Um, around 55 people. Um, yeah. We've hired a lot from insurance companies actually. Mm. They underpay, uh, mm. which is amazing for us. It means we can get in and grab good people. Um, you know, also I think you can, if you want people with that corporate background, you can attract those guys, right? Our CFO was the former CFO of Zurich Middle East. He now gets to wear jeans to work, imagine, wow. right? So <laughs> it's quite an easy sell, I think. Yeah. But the, the knowledge that he brings to our business, it's amazing, right? So you add that. To, to what we as the founders have, and you know, it makes a good recipe. I think you know, there are obvious shortcomings when looking for some of the talent. So you know, I can't find people who've worked for a comparison site based here, because there, there aren't any, right? So 
you know, um, these are the kind of challenges, but you overcome those, right? Um, I think, you know, luckily we're in a part of the world which is quite attractive, so if you need, if you really need industry-specific talent that doesn't exist in the region, it's not a hard sell. From me selling to people in the UK, come to Dubai, it's not a hard sell. So I think if the talent doesn't exist, we can bring them, and, and we have done that, and, you know, we've brought them from people like Go Compare and Google, and, you know, they, they've added a great deal to us. I think it's important to know how far it's moved now. So I came to Dubai in 2011, where banks had uh, a one-page website. No one knew anything about digital marketing and performance marketing. Um, now you've got that talent. People coming from Egypt, from Jordan, they've got amazing skills from Lebanon as well. I think we, we're, we're closer now. Again, you know, would you have people who've got experience from challenger banks? No, but you can bring them, right, if you needed to. So um, I think it's getting better anyway. Okay. I think also to add to that, <clears throat> as a fintech here, you're doing something for the first time or something new or something different. Otherwise, you know, you're not going to be successful. So by that very nature, there is no blueprint for how to do it. You can't hire someone from a bank who will, for us, who will just be able to, you know, solve all your problems. So really what we've found, I mean, there are different roles such as CFO, which is slightly different, but for other roles, it's just about getting people who can work hard, understand things, pick them up quickly. That's the most important thing rather than getting experts who know exactly what they're doing. Because frankly, if anyone claims they've done it before, they're lying because mm. you're doing something new and different. So we've really, you know, we've done both approaches and, and I think our opinion is that the people who are just proactive, willing to roll this loose up and get going in a fintech works the best. Uh, Ahmed, the market is highly <coughs> fragmented and now you're in a growth phase and you've launched your second market, UAE. How, how, do, you, uh, how do you deal with that challenge? The fact that uh, you, know, you have to go into a new market, you have to find either debt sources, you have to set up, you have to do a lot of things in order to continue that growth pattern that will keep investors engaged, that would keep, you know. Yeah. So I, I, I do think, uh, actually it's a great question, this part of the world isn't very attractive unless you think of it as a federated market. Mm -hmm. Not just this part of the world, but we'd like to go into parts of Africa. Uh, I'm flying to Malaysia in May uh, for a World Bank conference, and, and that's justified because it's a business class flight, but also because uh, we're interested <laughs> in being there. Uh, so you have to think of things as, as how, do we, how do we build a business across uneven uh, markets in terms of information availability? such that the experience is, is a relatively uh, similar one for the consumer. Um, for us, uh, dealing with regulatory strategy, or regulatory strategy as such is a competitive vector, uh, like anything else. Uh, building locally, but in a way that, that presents uh, coherently is something that we're working to be really good at. Um, it's just, it's just uh, another competitive uh, dimension to our business. Um, it's hard. It's very, very hard. I think you do have to have local context. Uh, that really matters. And it does extend the execution timeline. But if we were building a lending business in the U.S. today, we would have to qualify at every state mm. level as well. Yeah. Uh, the United States is a, <laughs> is a federal system with 50 different states within it. Uh, this is also kind of a, yeah. a it's just less uh, homogenous. Uh, in the last 10 years, there was $100 million investments in fintech in the region. In 2017, there will be $50 million investments in the region, which is highlighted in the report, and it also highlights who's making 
or who's been making those investments. If you look 10 years ago, it's only VC now. We started to see corporations making investments. We started to see governments making investments. You know, when, when, a, when a startup is coming and pitching you, what is the sense of urgency to get them to sign a letter of intent? You like the idea or? In terms of, um, so there's a broad question that doesn't speak to FinTech. Um, in terms of the supply and demand of venture, uh, the venture financing in the region, I think today the, the, the leverage is such that it's with capital, so there's a lot more companies chasing a lot, a lot uh, a, a, there's, there's a finite amount of capital chasing um, a very large amount of startups, right? That dynamic is shifting very quickly, um, and I think what's important for us as VCs to always remember is that even though the leverage is here today, it will flip very quickly, and it's beginning to kind of switch, so um, at least we, we kind of discuss this internally all the time. That we always have to have a very high anxiety quotient mm -hmm. when, we're, when we're dealing with, with, uh, with, with any entrepreneur because you want the entrepreneurs to always leave with a positive, with a positive experience, no matter what the experience is because that same entrepreneur may come back later in a different form um, that you, you want to invest. Maybe you don't want to invest the first time, but you may want to come back and invest the second time. Uh, within FinTech particularly, uh, I think this is uh, accentuated a bit because there, the, you know, the, while there were a hundred companies founded last year, that still lags. <coughs> hundred companies today. The hundred yeah, companies yeah, in fintech yeah. today that lags behind kind of other sectors that we look, traditionally look at. So there's actually a small pool of potential fintech investment, um, and and we think, uh, we, and we've been of this mind for a while now that the next billion dollar business is going to emerge out of this sector in one way or another. Um, so we try to be, um, we, tr we, we, we try to be extremely urgent with the entrepreneurs that we look at and we try to be helpful wherever we can, even if we don't invest because um, this is sort of an iterative process. Entrepreneurs may, you know, companies may fail, but they come back in different ways. Yeah. One thing that also we talked about is, you know, mobile payments. So, uh, you know, Musa, if you can give us your two cents of Musa from Bridge. Uh, if you guys are familiar with Bridge, it's, uh, it's a mobile app that enables customers to pay uh, retailers. In a, what, what, what are you looking forward in 2017? And, and uh, uh, yeah, I think uh, from a regulation standpoint, it's really quite interesting to see what happens. Um, I think to your point, it's really interesting for regulators to actually look at the ecosystem from a perspective that is more about what players are doing, kind of base regulation on innovation that's happening as opposed to the other way around. That's a key driver. I also see corporates having a huge, huge play in this. Um, I think uh, the UAE and the Gulf in general is synonymous with looking at what happens outside and copying it. And we feel that uh, we're seeing a lot of appetite from corporates um, wanting to get into the space by doing their own thing as opposed to replicating what's already there. Do you want to give us your point of view, from a regulatory point of view? And Actually, yeah. <laughs> no, okay. Well, actually, I, I just joined the ADG, and I come from the fintech industry myself. Uh, yep. Two of the com companies I work for are actually in the sandbox in the, uh, in the UK, okay. um, Luno and uh, Tromnex. So I joined uh, ADGM uh, two days ago. Wow. Um, and I, I, I feel the pain. I mean, yeah. the, 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 the subjects that were discussed here, the issues, are very, very similar. I've been in the fintech industry now for four years, and it's always been the same. But you can see a change, right? 
I mean, now you see actually regulators coming to fintech uh, events, yeah. which is great because before that, banks will follow as well, I'm yeah. sure. Um, one of the things, and uh, I, I heard that uh, being mentioned as well, is uh, uh, that there are certain things that should or are uh, particular to the region. I heard, for instance, AML KYC. Yeah. I'm not really sure if that is actually the case. I think it's more a question of there is no standard. There should be a standard. Mm -hmm. And I think also, and this is one of the things where the regulators will uh, uh, well, lead or at least co-lead the way, is okay, how can we do this? Yeah, we went from a principle where you have face-to-face -face onboarding to uh, uh, somewhere where you can basically uh, onboard online. Uh, the first thing that the regulator always would say, well, there's no regulation for that, so yeah. we can't do anything with you. Uh, that is going to change, I think, and that is also where the sandbox comes in. We need fintech companies to work in the sandbox to see what works best. Because the regulations were made for the traditional financial industry. They were not pragmatic and particularly for the fintech industry. The fintech industry comes with solutions that might be a lot better, but there's no regulation. Mm. So we need to find out what works best together, and then we need to make regulations that fit the results, instead of the other way around, where we try to fit fintech industry, uh, fintech companies into existing regulation. And even in the UK, I found out that they are looking at your company, and then they say, well, we will, we will give you this uh, license under restrictions, and that is basically your context. I'm not really sure if that is the way to go. But, um, well, we'll see, because this is really something about cooperation. This is not anymore about, we are the regulator, we will yeah. tell you what so to do. So, since we have you here, and thank you very much for coming, um, can you tell us a little bit about the process that a startup would go through in order to apply for the sandbox, and what are the time constraints? What, you know, what, you know, what, what, what is the, what's the expectation? What are you looking for? Okay, uh, <laughs> we're, we're trying to do this in cohorts. Uh, the first cohort, uh, which just ended on 31st Jan, we're hoping to set up the next cohort uh, towards the end of the second quarter. Uh, it's normally a three-week process where applications come in. Now, when the applications come in to the regular, we, we, as of now, for the, the first cohort, we got about 12, 12 to 15 applications. Mm -hmm. uh, we're trying to narrow it down to about 10 people that we would accept. And once, the, the, the basic gist is, you can come in and test your product. Now, you don't have to be a startup. You could also yeah. be a uh, current fintech player in some other jurisdiction who wants to come in and test waters in GCC. So um, it, it can come either or. You come in at a fraction of the cost that would take a regular financial service company to set up in the financial free zone. And uh, if you test, if you think it, your, your product works in the region, you stay and move on to a full-fledged financial service permission. Otherwise, you can cut your losses and go back. Where yeah. With that, I'd like to end this, and I'd like to thank you, everyone, for, for coming, and uh, I give it back to Kamel.